Hello, and welcome to the Private Suite interview series. I'm Indy Advent, and we're very glad to have you joining us today. We have a very special episode, but first, just in case you ha- you're not aware, the deadline for issue 7, issue 8, is July 30th. So if you want to pick up a physical magazine, get over to our Patreon site and sign up before July 30th for issue 8. Our guest today is Zero, also known sometimes as Zero Trash Wave. The song we're hearing right now is off of his record, Blank State Reflection. You can pick up a tape on Holloway Tapes right now. They still have some. And the song is called Formal Introductions. So check it out. And his other work, which we're going to play at the end of the episode. If this is your first time listening to the show, we usually do that. Anyway, welcome to the show, Zero. How's it going? Thanks for so. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi. Thanks for having me. For sure, man. For sure. What's What's going on in your world? I am fresh off a couple of live shows. Just got back home and feeling pretty grand, actually. Oh, you just got home. So yeah, you had a show last night, and so you stayed there, and then came home this morning yeah i uh my dad lives in brussels where i played so it was a time for me to catch up with him and i crashed at his place and then took the train back today oh perfect that's awesome how did you uh how did you like the show it was really fun uh cool venue really cool people that were running the show people that kind of get alternative music a great headliner lucuria that uh i played with and just all together a really fun night nice oh sorry it's my alarm actually you know what let me turn off my notifications if the background gets a little loud here just let me know because the girlfriend is insisting on playing monster hunter with her speakers on right next to me oh that's okay uh i'll i'll might be able to filter it out my um my apartment gets quite hot in the summer uh, I have a very open concept, like there's lots of windows, I have a big balcony, but I like to be, I like to be able to let my cats out, so I just keep the door and windows open, Yeah. and that way it doesn't get too hot, and I don't have to use air conditioning. But uh, the downside of that is there's going to be honking and cars, motorcycles in the background, so <laughs> for the next few months, listeners, please bear with me while I deal with that. Yeah, but so no worries. Okay, perfect. And so you you came back this morning, and that's you live in Belgium, right? Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Sweet. How's Belgium? It is uh, as it always is, small and mildly confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, when I was doing my research, I came across a an Instagram location link somehow that told me you were in Cord Cordic. Cortric, uh, yeah, it, it's somewhat unpronounceable. Yeah, it's a, it's a small town uh, close to the French border, actually. Yeah, very close to France. I like so close. That's really it's walking I distance. If that technically, an, yeah, yeah. Does it have an influence on your day to day life being so close to France? Uh, I work retail, so yeah, we're expected to speak French, and I do get some French customers and. Um, I have a lot of like friends across the French border and across the language border within Belgium as well. So yeah, 
Mm, interesting. Yeah, I was. I figured you you might have to. Um, Belgium's in a really interesting place. Just for those who don't know, it's kind of between France, Netherlands, Germany, and Luxembourg, I guess, as well. Yeah, and the North Sea with uh, the UK on the other side. So yeah, very close to the UK as well. Um, I'd love to go there one day. It's uh, there's some interesting stuff to see. Really, it's uh, it has a storied history, has some interesting monuments, and uh, it is the capital of Europe. Yeah, actually had a lot of trouble getting to the venue yesterday because it was the the start of the Tour de France yesterday in Brussels. Ooh, yeah, that's a lot of activity. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you do for fun? What are your hobbies apart from vaporwave stuff? Well, yeah, making music is fun, of course. But uh, besides that, um, I go to quite a couple of shows just outside of the genre, uh, listen to a lot of music, uh, play video games, play a lot of video games, actually. Nice. I'm a fan of video games also. What are you playing right now? Um, I was playing uh, Battle Brothers last week a lot, which is the turn-based strategy game that was... Uh, since the Steam sale was coming on. Nice. And then uh, now, since like a couple of days, both me and the missus have gotten really heavily into uh, Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter World. Yeah, we finally yeah. picked it up. We've been looking at it for like a year, and now with the 50% off, we just went for it. Yeah, oh, it's such a good game. I bought it when it was full price, like maybe not day of, but close to it. And I haven't, I'm so freaking busy, I can't play it sucks. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> I know it's such a good game, and I have friends that play, and their their hunter rank is going to be so high now compared to mine. Oh, but you can pick it up quickly though. Like if you have previous Monster Hunter experience, uh, yeah, like like I do from the 3DS game, it's remarkable how quickly it translates. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's just it's a time sink. You know, it takes a long time to take those guys down, those giant oh, monsters. Yeah. So. And you mentioned you go to shows uh, outside of the genre. You actually ha run a venue, or you own the venue, or what? What is that? Uh, so I am the the manager for the nonprofit that runs the venue. So it's a completely DIY punk scene thing. It's um it's a small bar actually, but that mainly focuses on uh, on doing concerts. It's completely run by volunteers. Sick. Oh, that's amazing. I really respect that as a, I kind of, I'm into rock, punk, metal sort of myself. So I really respect that kind of local scene. There's a community in Toronto called Toronto Prague and I actually run that um, Facebook page. It's kind of slow right now. It used to be way bigger, but yeah, I, uh, I highly respect that, my friend. It's something I do with, uh, I try to be enthusiastic. It's a lot of work, but um, it's very rewarding, and it's something that uh, any city could use and kind of needs to have a healthy like ecosystem when it comes to music. So, yeah, exactly. Especially now, like the corporations are pushing all this electronic music really hard. Not really pushing rock that much anymore. So it's really only exists in these smaller communities right it is a noticeable downturn the last couple of years yeah because i've been running the venue for five or six years now seven. uh seven years i've just been corrected um, mm. and, um <laughs> i've noticeably the the numbers are down yeah crazy that's a shame well maybe it'll it bounce is. back everything kind of bounces back somehow you know so 
maybe it will. Oh yeah, it's always you know peaks and and valleys, I guess eventually. Yeah, right. And people might kind of get bored of the the same consistent sound, like that perfect tune. You know, like there's no mistakes in it, right? There's no raw. Yeah, there's. Well, I think even now electronic music is starting not only vaporwave but in general is starting to focus more on performance and you have that bleeding over into each other so you, you never know where we're gonna end up with live music so mm-hmm. that's a great segue <laughs> vaporwave live <laughs> shows um are you uh going to groove horizons by chance or are, are you into future funk or, or no um uh, not super into future funk, I have to say. I, I come from a more, well, we'll probably go deeper into that later, but I come from a more dark ambient alternative music background. So right. future funk is a bit too sweet to my taste. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally cool. I get it. Uh, I like to try on a little bit of everything, but I, I'm still trying to understand how to listen to your music <laughs> not all of it <laughs> some of it though like i can't i see all these people writing about it and i'm like oh my god like i can't i can't really get through it like it's not fun most of the time is it oh <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be fun it's just it's so challenging and it's a wall of music like sh- you can't can't tune it out even if you wanted to not that you should but (laughs) that's what i find it kind of it makes me anxious sometimes and i guess maybe that's the point right Uh, well like a lot of my influences from before i think compared to my previous output under under other names before zero this is more minimalistic and 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 less of a wall less of a monolith but Mm -hmm. yeah that kind of still seeps in you know (laughs) oh dude yeah like your two records that I like that I can actually get through are um, Blank State Reflection and the, the Mallsoft one. Yeah. And then Afterglow 20XX. Okay. Um, I love those records, but the, the other one, I love I loved the other ones too. I highly respect them. Mm-hmm. And the album art is amazing. I just saw the, I missed the mini disc on Lucid Shores. I saw it. Oh, yeah, There's that one, one left. That one was easy to miss since it went, I think it sold out in less than an hour. Oh, yeah. It was way f- faster than that. I clicked the email as soon as I got it, and there was one left. And um, I, like, just missed it. I watched it go. <laughs> like, I literally saw it. Yeah. And then I waited, and it looks like everybody that bought it bought it. No, no cards oh, yeah, expired. because there's a small chance that pops back up again if someone yeah. takes it out of their basket, right? Yeah, well, I think Bandcamp sets a 15-minute time limit if, like, before it'll return it to being available. It won't take it out of your basket if you complete the transaction, but if someone else adds it, then it'll trump your current uh, holding of it. Okay, yeah, with super limited stuff, that's actually irrelevant, so it's good to know, actually. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe I'll write that down somewhere. <laughs> Maybe I'll tweet it. Because more people need to know that. Everybody gets all butthurt all the time. And it's like, that's, you can time it out. Just don't, just learn how it works and we'll be all good. Well, the scene in general is still, well, for me, or to my impression, figuring out how to correctly handle both limited and yeah. less limited releases in a fair way for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
That's true. But, you know, the people that got that mini disc are going to be like, yes, they're going to cherish it so much. So that's, you're right. It is a fine line. Like, do we make an infinite amount? And then, you know, there's no value behind it. Like, maybe there's definitely sentimental value. But, you know, if there's no ability to say, I'm one of 10 people that have this, then it's different, you know? It's a fine line on the one end, yeah, especially in this case, because yeah, it's money up front for the label. It was a small side release. On the other hand, you also don't want to create a situation where stuff is being bought only for that fear of missing out and only for that collector's value, yeah. which makes me think of stuff like um, some of the geometric lullaby releases are maybe not getting the attention they deserve just because they sell out so quickly and people don't even listen to it before buying. Yeah, that's crazy. I always listen before buying. I used to have a bad habit of listening to only one song, uh, usually the one that Bandcamp or the the person that puts it up would set as the one that plays when you go to the page and just press play, because you don't know what song that's going to be on the record. could be number seven, not number one, and that might be the best song on the record or one that sounds different than the majority of the record. So I have a bunch of tapes that I don't really care for as much anymore because I heard the whole record now and I'm not as into it. Is that what happened with my Seikomar tape that you sold? <laughs> I'm just joshing you. I'm, I'm happy that it went to someone else who'll appreciate it. The only you thing went I to a for dear friend to... of mine actually. Oh, perfect. I'll yeah. actually, I'll, I maybe I'll shout, I'll shout him out by his uh, Discog's name, Otter7. I think that's it. He's, he's the coolest dude, man. Like you know how there's people in the community that, you know, they know which tapes are precious sort of thing and um, people hold them really closely. He is so nice in that regard. Like he's so willing to make you a nice deal and not, you know, be outrageous like we see with a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think one of the Sacomore tapes is for sale right now and they are asking a bit of a ridiculous amount for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, apparently but... it's sold, or he took it offline. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I guess you don't know. Yeah, when I first started on Discogs, I didn't really know like how it all worked, and so I would just set it at like the median or the highest. But that then it's like okay, those people were actually just ripping people off, and it's like oh shit, okay, what is this actually worth? And then you can kind of go into the graph and check the actual like history and be like okay, maybe it was worth a lot when it first came out. But like, you know, there's different trends with every different type of record, who the artist is, which album of theirs is it is, is it early, whatever. But um Oh, I love this cogs because it's really this transparent and it's honest. Like you really everything is, is up there, you can find it and it's hard to get ripped ripped off. I mean, it still happens, but... Yeah, for sure. And it, I, I like the word you use, transparent. I just found that it did sell for 17 euros, which is fair, I think. Price-wise, was that twenty bucks? Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. I think I sold mine for twenty-five, but that's what I have to because the shipping to Canada, well, twenty-five CAD, not euros, because shipping to Canada is like the same, maybe sometimes more than the cost of the tape. So I'm like, you know, I gotta get my money back. So I think I sold it for twenty-five. That's usually what prohibits me from buying more tapes. Like I love supporting artists, and I will even gladly buy a tape somewhat expensively. But I do like that money going to someone that'll actually be able to use it. So not a scalper and not the postal service. So Yeah, yeah, the shipping. 
sucks. Sometimes we get good though. It works out sometimes. Like I just shipped uh, something to where was it? Germany, and it was like thirty-five bucks, I think, for tracking. Canadian again, mm-hmm. and it was only like ten for no tracking, but with insurance and airmail. So I was like, dude, I'll just airmail it to you. It's not going to get damaged, and it has insurance anyway. So, you know, I'll, at least I can get you your money back. So that was that was better than paying thirty him, him having to pay thirty five for a tape. Like, nah, that's a bit crazy. But yeah, shipping. Hopefully, it gets gets better someday. I don't know. Like with these uh, with all these new technologies coming out, you know, drone shipping and stuff. It'll have to because I mean, for being in Belgium. I, I know like for a fact that this has somewhat sabotaged the sale of my my album because I sell it for about 16 bucks and it's 15 bucks shipping on top of that to get it to the US which is yeah yeah <laughs> so you're gonna be eating some of that cost yourself well at this point they're um they're online for a fair price I think we're eating the cost of the packaging and a slight bit of the shipping at that point for yeah and that's 15 bucks I mean so it's even more expensive actually yeah yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a great, uh, great little side topic. I think that was <laughs> pretty quite interesting. But let's get back to you. Yes. Uh, so, where does your musical interest sort of start to take shape in your life? Like looking back, I I think I went to my like first live shows around fifteen, so that was certainly a huge impact. Um, what partially type of music? due to a colleague of my mom's that took me to see a couple of bands that mm. uh, were. Uh, that left a big impression on me. Nice. Uh, there's a really healthy life scene uh, around uh, these parts. A uh, couple of active venues, even more so when I was younger. So there were pretty much every weekend there were at least punk and hardcore shows going on. Mm-hmm. And that was a very big influence at that point. Sweet. Yeah, live shows then, were a big yeah. one for me too. Yeah, what else? Uh, and then... Continuing on from there, um, just getting in, getting to know more and more experimental music, I guess, uh, through live shows, through meeting people at live shows, um, through compilations and talking to people in the scene. And uh, pretty early on, my interest being piqued by uh, Japanese artists, uh, being able to see, I think, in the span of a couple of months, uh, both uh, Boris and Meld Banana live. And then uh, I don't know them. <laughs> oh, you you those are things you urgently need to check out. <laughs> Boris and Mel Banana. Mel Banana, yeah, one of my favorite bands, a noise rock outfit out of Japan. That's okay. um, band, very chaotic and band. sonically okay. interesting. <laughs> Sweet, I'll definitely have a look, and you should too. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. Um, then, um, my own interest as a musician that, uh, started really based on the venue that I now manage and that I was, a a big fan of and frequent frequenter of back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, that already had a healthy noise scene of really like harsh noise, pedal noise kind of stuff. And, um, they got me to experiment with my own like limited musical gear I had available. And then the rest is history so to say or is on discogs at least <laughs> mm-hmm. that sums it up pretty fast <laughs> and wow so when did you discover vaporwave and how did it grab a hold of you vapor i i was 
there's people that say they're late to the party, but I was ridiculously late to the party. Um, I started like properly discovering Vaporwave, like downloading albums and listening to them intently uh, late 2017. Oh, yeah, that's late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's inexcusably late. Yeah, there's people that are discovering it now. Sorry, I'm just eating something. The the infamous sandwich or uh... <laughs> some cheese. <laughs> Cheese and peanut butter, man. You're, that, that is somewhat confusing. And coffee. You've revealed me. It's old cheddar, okay? It's delicious. With spinach, you just get some cheese and some spinach, put them together. The cheese counteracts the bitterness of the spinach, and you get a nice healthy treat, and it's cheap. Well, that, that does sound lovely, actually. It's good. Peanut butter to top it off. Peanut butter sandwich, everybody, not peanut butter and cheese. <laughs> And I'll I'll use the coffee to cleanse my palate before I switch. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So you discovered vaporwave kind of late. Kinda, uh, yeah. What was it that you discovered? Um, it had been in the back of my mind for a while, um, because I was uh, very actively making music. Uh, I think up until about 2015 or 2016. Mm. Uh, as a noise musician mainly uh, I got a little bit disillusioned with that scene at that point and also due to um, a bit of an extended move uh, remodeling a house and just having all of my gear in storage I was uh, not making music uh, for that entire duration so about two years oh crap and then that kind of all came to a boiling point almost with uh, discovering vaporwave diving headfirst into the genre quickly trying to catch up on what was at that point like five years of very intensive music history and trying to create it myself uh, almost at the same time mm -hmm. crazy well, let's talk about some of your albums then um let's start with your newest one black magic yes <laughs> is that the translation too that is the translation yeah okay cool yeah that's a that's one of the albums that's dif difficult for me Seriously? I do own uh, it though. I, I, I got think it on it's crates. more accessible than, than most of the other ones, even. Yeah, and uh, the one I sold, what is it? Intense Hate. That one's that one's heavy. Oh yeah, that that one is heavy. That, and that's Midi, Midi that's Hack not also. supposed to be a fun album either, actually. Mm -hmm. And I have I have the Midi Hack VHS. I do really like that VHS. It's a crazy noise, but it, it's interesting to have on, like you know, during a party or something, just kind of quiet. Can you actually play that since it's a PAL VHS? Yeah, yeah. I have one that can play both. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's dedication right there. My uh, friend, I don't know, he has a whole like warehouse of junk, like old computer monitors. And I think I talked about it on a different episode, but uh, yeah. But yeah, um, when it comes to Black Magic, which is the most recent one I've released, yes, it's it's been long in the making though. Like, I think that album was finished somewhere mid twenty eighteen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Because I grabbed the I record think, around then. I think in terms of like the order that the albums were made, I think it was made in between uh, Slipstream and Tungsten Dragon. Oh, crazy! Yeah, yeah. I guess that sounds right. Yeah. Well, you've put out a lot of music uh, quite quickly, I would say. What is that, six albums in two years? Less than two years. Um, it's uh, from what is out now, I think it's uh, seven albums, including 
of course, some being kind of short, like Afterglow and Tungsten are just under half an hour, I think. Mm. Uh, so seven albums in about a year and a half, yeah. And then there's that uh, live performance on Net Century. Yes, there's a live performance on Net Century, and I can officially say that I have roughly three more albums finished for release somewhere this year. Oh my God, <laughs> you are a madman. That is crazy. That's not counting side projects either, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a couple side projects too. Holy crap. Okay, lots to talk about here. All right, so back to Black Magic. How did you, like, what inspired you to come up with that aesthetic and that sound for that record? Um, it started out pretty much as like a challenge to myself. I was hitting a bit of a dry spell in terms of musical inspiration. So, uh, much like I did for the initial uh, MIDI hack tracks, because MIDI hack was actually a, a collection of my um, trying to make vaporwave, trying to reconnect with my audio workstation, everything uh, where I used video to prod me along to give me some structure on how to make the tracks. Um, I did the same for Black Magic, but there I used um, uh, just a longer video. Okay. And that video was or is uh, the movie Black Magic. Oh, crazy! What what's that? What is that movie? Uh, the the full name is uh, Black Magic M sixty six. It's uh, based on a, a manga by uh, Masamune Shiro, who's mainly known for Apple Seeds. Oh, nice! Apple Seed is awesome. Yeah, I've not heard of that. Crazy. It's lesser known movie. It's not one that's particularly well reviewed, but for for what I was trying to do at that point, it had like that gritty 80s yeah. cyberpunk aesthetic and yeah. just a, a good feel to it nice what's your um your favorite song on that record oh that that's that's a difficult question actually um mm. a lot of people really like uh smokescreen mainly for the the guitar solo that's in there yeah i think that's the big one then i think for me uh it's a toss-up between i think a flawed system or Greeds, I think some of the more synth-heavy tracks. I love the way the the saxophone comes out on that album sometimes. So, which number? Like, oh, number two. Yeah, there's like some some good film noir detective like smoke ring saxophone in there. Mm -hmm. Well, if you haven't heard that record, go check it out because it's it's I I struggle with it, but a lot of people that are into this, if you're into sort of noise ambient sound like dark ambient. I don't know. There's so many different ways to describe your music. It's really like it's an eclectic blend of styles, almost like it's not just one one thing. Especially between your your different records, but yeah, definitely check it out. It's it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think for Black Magic, I, I myself like struggled for ages how to describe it, and I've been lucky enough to have some people from the community do reviews for them, and they usually put it like as something in between techno, dark ambient, industrial, and then mall soft vaporwave, with 808 hi hats, really gritty synthesizers, and at some points like merging things like birth of a new day meets select ambient works something like that that's yeah, quite a mouthful <laughs> bit of dystopian feeling too oh yeah i think that's that's why i really try to to get the vibe that the movie has as well because all of the tracks were originally composed on top of the video of the movie so oh wicked like scored yeah, while watching it 
uh, yeah, and they they actually sync up exactly one to one with the movie in the original edit. I think that the the vinyl edit is a little bit different. I think we dropped one track and a half on that, and we changed up the order. But uh, we the album is getting a re-release uh, on cassette through Palm eighty four, and I think we're going with the original running order and length for that one. Nice. So then you can pair up the film and watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's really cool, man. And and the samples yeah. of like the vocals that are in the tracks and stuff, they line up with the movie. They are exactly synced to that. So, dude, that is crazy. I did not know that. Is is there's no like video that synced it up already? Is there? Uh, no, not yet. I've been meaning to do that at some point. I've been meaning to actually get in touch with Vapor Memory to to see if we can pull that off without like getting YouTube angry. <laughs> yeah. I think they only care about audio. Like, I don't know. Maybe not. For as far as I know, I think the rights to that specific movie are like not owned by anyone right now in the US, for example. But I'm not like aware enough of how copyright works to, to mm-hmm. know what that entails. Yeah, I'm certainly not an expert. <laughs> cool. Uh, what about where does the Oriental vibe in the album come from? Is that inspired from the film as well? I think, yeah. I mean, it is very much like uh, Shiro's vibe that he has there. It's a very like dystopian future Asian cityscapes that you're moving through. And I try to reflect that in some of the instrumentation that is uh, like the same synthesizers and strings that I used on Tungsten Dragon to get that Asian mm. feel in there. Yeah, true. That's so cool. Um, so definitely check that record out, Black Magic. And you mentioned the Tungsten Dragon album. That's the one that came out on on Lucid Shores recently that I missed. <laughs> that album is it's so interesting. Like, the album art has a different, very different approach. Uh, it's like a Jurassic Park kind of feeling. Uh, it it has some yeah some heavy on the nostalgia. <laughs> on that one mm-hmm. in terms of the artwork for me at least that's that's the feel i was trying to somewhat evoke like a feeling of discovery and nostalgia and a bit of a summer holiday vibe at the same time so let's say the start of jurassic park <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's like uh well, this is kind of oriental as well but uh, yeah, it has that traditional dragon on it and it's like a temple sort of that people are going into but also looks like it could be sort of like a theme park in a way just the way the people are dressed like very touristy the the actual source of the image is an uh is an abandoned theme park somewhere in asia that's uh, very often uh, used for urbexing mm, i see it all comes together now yeah that's a really crazy record too i i can kind of get into that one a bit more than intense hate but uh yeah it's still a, quite a challenging record so if you like that stuff check that one out too um where did where's the approach come from with that with the sound for that record for tungsten dragon those are actually some of my slightly older tracks at that point i think those uh, most of those were created in, like the initial discovery phase of the project uh like i was uh, alluding to earlier that i was trying to like figure out what vaporwave was to me and how I could create it in my own style. Mm. And uh, I then reworked those to like form a more cohesive whole. 
um, on that the EP the, with a, more of a focus on uh, lots of uh, shamisen and kodo, like Japanese string instruments, get that slightly percussive feel into it and try to make it a little bit dreamy without sounding like overly heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, description, sort of. Because that it fits that perfectly. Where did you like? You speak Japanese, or you can pronounce the words quite well. Where did you learn how to do that? Um, that is mainly uh, thanks to my girlfriend, who's a, a huge anime nerd and tends to correct me on my spelling every single time I make a mistake, like she just did on me mispronouncing Koto. Yeah. So. <laughs> Crazy. That's really cool. And, and I'm, I, I like a, a bit of anime now and then. And like I said, I have a somewhat of an obsession with Japanese music. So yeah. that all kind of ties together. Mm -hmm. Wicked. Yeah, I like, uh, I'm, I'm not nearly as hard into it as uh, you guys, or especially your girlfriend. But I do uh, really appreciate that and wish I had more time to project myself into those different universes. Um, my favorite show is probably Cowboy Bebop as uh corny as well not not corny but like you know everybody likes that show it's a classic for a reason though mm -hmm. um so we we talked about your album mini hack mini hack a little bit uh was that your first record uh, even though it actually came out after afterglow it was the the first record yeah mm -hmm. it's just that since we did a physical for that one uh it came out a little bit later um it's kind of an interesting story how that came along because um uh as you might have seen uh brc30 productions does uh distribution for a lot of my physical stuff yeah they since do. i don't have anything for sale on bandcamp and uh that's um once you go onto the site you'll see that it's not a vaporwave label yeah <laughs> definitely not. far from it actually <laughs> So yeah, that's a that's a close friend of mine actually. So mm -hmm. uh, Jens, that runs the label, has um, been supporting um, a lot of my musical projects for a while, and um, he's played in my venue loads of times with his uh, the bands that he's in, and uh, he's the one that actually was the first pushed me to do a physical release with Zero, and that's what the MIDI hack ended up being. Oh, sick! Well, shout out to him for for doing that because your physicals are awesome, like. Uh... Blank state reflection, the the Seiko Mart one too. That like you're, they're so nice to actually hold the work that you make. It's you know like the, they're all such beautiful packages and they're all so different from one another. I kind of wish I didn't sell that tape just so I could have my full collection back. And you know what, Slipstream, <laughs> the the sun the album that came out on Sunset Grid. And actually, I yeah. want to know, how was it working with the, with them and all of the different labels? But Slipstream, that needs a tape, okay? I need that, need uh, that tape. Uh, that is something I've been meaning to look at to find a way to release that on tape. But slowly, I'm going through the back catalog, and uh, yeah. I, I would like to get a physical for everything at some point, but uh, trying to find time to, to make everything and to get it to that level, like you said, like the, I want them to look nice. Yeah. I want it to be nice objects as well. Mm-hmm. No, in terms of labels, so like I said, BRC30 is, is Jens. That's a close friend of mine. We did uh, the track listing for MIDI Hack. We did together uh, the mastering as well, like uh, the graphic design as well. He really helps on that. Um, then to uh, Slipstream through Sunset Grids, uh, that was, uh, I think, the first label that actually replied to my messages. Oh, damn. <laughs> so just 
just still trying to find my way in the scene at that point i was barely on reddit i was not on twitter i was not on discord so i was just going through the the pages that were active on facebook i think i ended up contacting i think it was golf that then uh forwarded me through to uh to sunset grids because what i was doing wasn't entirely their style and then uh, Tyler was uh, extremely supportive and very enthusiastic. So nice, yeah. That, well, that's a great record. Yeah, I mean, Sunset Grid is like the ideal label to like do your first release on to get to grips with the process to get your name out there. Yeah, why? Why would you say that? Um, Tyler Blue Screen is a very supportive, great guy to talk to. Knows the scene in and out. It's, like been through been through the system a couple of times knows the ropes and then uh it's a label with a good reputation a good amount of visibility and that's willing to take risks actually well said <laughs> yeah that and maybe you know um bogus collective is pretty good too dmt oh yeah exactly those the, the, the big labels yeah yeah but shout out to sunset grid for that tyler good guy uh, and what about um, Sikomar, Lumi, and Holloway Tapes? Oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that was um, an interesting interaction because when I sent the album to her, uh, she was uh, receptive, but uh, she had some remarks. She gave some pointer. She wanted to help me uh, have the album reach as many people as possible, which is honestly already says a lot about her and how much she cares about her label and the music because most labels would rather decline you or not even bother to reply instead of having to type out more than two words so mm -hmm. well that's great she she i don't know how she has all the time she like does everything there not quite by herself i don't think but it's the only person i've heard of i think maybe oh, i forget their name i think there's one other person do you know um there used to be the other label that was very closely linked with them, but oh, like everything I've seen, everything I've seen is just Lumi, it's just by hand. <laughs> yeah, it must take so much time to be so thorough, and you know, like. It... And then that's the thing, like the the packaging, the designs, the, the the promotion as well. Like it's 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 a huge work that she does. Yeah, uh, we've said it on so many episodes here, but uh, shout out to Sikomart. Or Seiko Mart. Uh, and uh, Power Lunch? Or really? <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Uh, I'll repeat what I have said every single time. My release, my release with Power Lunch went well. I think everyone received their tapes. I certainly received mine. They, were, they looked the way they should have looked. They, they looked nice. Uh, I'm I'm quite happy with the release. I have no complaints. And I actually quite like talking to Matt, but that's mainly because we both come from a punk background. So Oh, sweet. I didn't know that. Cool. Well, I think that's all. But yeah, he has a tad controversial in the scene, so uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no worries. We don't I don't like to get into drama on this show. So no worries there. Um well, that's I think that's pretty much all of the all the records. Do you have a one that was maybe you know very challenging or an interesting story, or you had some obstacles you had to overcome with it? Um, I think they all had their own their own little timeline and their own obstacles. 
like I said, Slipstream was it was a first attempt. I had to look a little bit to find the right label. Uh, Midi Hack was very closely together with Jens. Uh, same with uh, Hageshi with uh, the, the Burning Anger, the the one on Seiko Mart where Lumi gave me some really good pointers, and I had to I had to accept those pointers to make it a better album. That was a very much a learning experience to take constructive criticism from someone and to reach an, an end result that wasn't entirely my original vision. But afterwards, I can say that uh, thanks to Lumi's remarks, that album is better for it. So Nice. So I, I don't want to go into specifics about what was changed and what was said, but that's really, really cool, man. Once again, oh, shout the, out to... The original version was even less accessible than this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy, man. Absolutely. And then uh, Blank Slate Reflection, which we haven't talked much about yet, which came oh, out yeah, on the yeah, uh, Holloway yeah, tapes, yeah, sorry. which is, a, a, in my eyes, a really underrated label, which actually has done not only Vaporwave releases, but they've done uh, stuff for uh, Ursula's cartridges as well. Yeah, that's right. They're going to be at <laughs> um, uh, the 100% Electronicon pre-show for sure. Yeah. So check them out there if you haven't already uh because a uh, blank slate reflection uh, originally went under a different name was actually uh rejected by a couple of labels as well oh, damn. including uh one label that i will not further name but that strung me along for i think at least several weeks giving me feedback that i later found to be disingenuous uh, because of the fact that they seem to never really be intent on releasing me or helping me release the album oh man uh, but in that. the end, that that came with Holloway tapes. They fully embraced my vision for the album, uh, and then helped me make it better by slightly retheming it. Even they they made an, a suggestion for an alternate title, and they made that gorgeous cover design to tie it all together. Oh, they made that nice. Yeah. That is it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, like I said, that's probably uh, my favorite record of yours. It's a uh, it's a bit of a shame. Well, if people are interested, there are still physical copies available. Holloway actually went out on a limb there and did a a very sizable pro dubbing of the tape. And they come in these like slightly metallic gray with pad prints based on the cover design, and they are gorgeous. Nice. Yeah, all all of your albums are gorgeous, man. Well, especially that one. But I love the album art for. You said something anger, but the the translation I'm seeing here is intense hatred. The Seiko Mart one. Oh yeah, yeah. So so furious anger, intense hatred. Yeah. It all. It's very close together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where? Hagishi. Where did you? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, there it is again. Um, where'd the album art for that come out? Come from? Uh, for uh, for the the Seiko Mart one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is uh. Annoyingly enough, I was never able to find the original picture again uh, from where where I got the like the background picture from partially. Uh, but um, a volcano somewhere in Scandinavia, I think, with a, a widening road leading up to it, and then my own personal style of layering and theming, I guess. Oh, crazy! Because to me, it, it always it looked like a a face. I don't know if that's 
intentional? Oh, there, there's a face in there. Okay. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> it was originally a very low poly 3D print of a skull that I then mm. uh, chopped up and relayered to get this end result. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. And then Lumi gave a lot of feedback on how we how to integrate the the title of the album into the artwork with having it in there, but not like too front and center to have it oh, be man. slightly obscured by the artwork. That is so cool. That was her, eh? Crap. Yeah, that was it, her influence. It, you really, it fits perfectly. It really does. The the red and the orange, sort of right, like burning. Yeah. Hatred. <laughs> Sweet man. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to talk about your records anymore or move on to another question. Well, no, I think we've been through most of them. Uh, I think the only one we haven't really talked about is the live in Berlin one. Oh yeah, if you want to take that to a different question because that like links into live shows more, I guess. Sure, sure. Well, also, how was it working with Net Century? I don't know how much work you actually did with them, but yeah, also, where did the idea come from to record that and and put it up? The uh, idea to record it was actually a very spontaneous uh, suggestion of the sound engineer at the Berlin show. Oh, while you're doing sound check or something, he was like, "Yo, I got a, I got a mic hooked up. We can just, uh, or I guess he could just record much, yeah. the, through his dog." <laughs> uh, thanks to Adam for bringing that up. But yeah, that was it. Uh, Adam, who was doing, who was running sound that night, he's like, "Yeah, I have my laptop here and this microphone, and I get." good sound quality from where the desk is so if you want i can just record everything and then send it to you which we did nice that's because that was must have been a good mic because that sounds great uh there's a combination of a, a good mic and the the venue's own special brand of terrible acoustics <laughs> with some really skeezy filtering and mastering and yeah. okay oh that's funny skeezy acoustics well, I guess you are a, a noise vapor artist, right? So that works in your favor, maybe. Uh, it's the combination of that. I'm actually uh, a certified sound engineer as well. Oh, <laughs> through sick. Training from back in the day. And uh, I ran sound for my own venue. Mm -hmm. I think I was the main sound guy for a couple of years. So True. I've done live sound for a couple hundred bands as well. Oh, crazy. Yeah, well, it uh, definitely comes through. Um, Thank you. <laughs> oh, anytime, man. My pleasure. So, why is it that you make your music? You know, what 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 is it that you're trying to do when you're making it? Uh, usually, it is because of something that is inside of me, be it either inspiration or a strong emotion, or a feeling that I want to share with someone that needs to come out in some way. Mm. And that is not always a pleasant process. And as you can attest, the end result is not always as easy to listen to, but it's a very cathartic affair. Yeah, I can imagine. Like something I think about when people, you know, I ask a lot of people why they make their music and they give me an answer and I'm like, okay, so you had that thought or you have that feeling, like depending, not all the time. And it inspired you to to make a record about it, right? But yeah. does it really does it end there? I I would think probably not because you have to carry that emotion into the recording or sorry into the writing process, which can take weeks and months, and then record it and all you know all the connections and communication you have to do with different people to get this product completed. How do you hold on to that original sort of thesis? 
for the the record like why you're making it the whole time uh i don't think you always succeed in holding on to it i think that's part of the creative process is sometimes compromising and sometimes finding a way to make a better album that maybe fits the, the emotion not to a t but that better translates it by being a better album i think the the seiko mart release the original version i had of that album maybe fit the emotion and my mental state at that time better but i think the the changes we made to both the artwork and the music made it more accessible to people mm-hmm. and in that way made it maybe more cathartic for me by being able to share it with more people and made it maybe reach more people and have it more of an impact that yeah. way yeah crazy crazy man because yeah there's inherent compromise in releasing music i think especially if you're trying to release it to a broader audience i'm not saying self-releasing on bandcamp is a uh, very true to form but once you're trying to reach an audience there's they're there at least somewhere in the process they're in the back of your mind yeah like we were saying before the balance right so i guess yeah but that's that's really cool man how you uh like you know what you said about it not always working out like that and i guess that you're right that's a lot of music kind of changes as different people get their hands on it and so sometimes for the worse maybe sometimes for the better um it is is very much an ego check i think the the first time i ever had an album mastered by someone else like a full album i've had separate tracks mastered for compilations and i think for a compilation there's an inherent uh slightly less self-identifying with the track it's less personal because it goes on to a compilation mm-hmm. but for an upcoming album it was mastered by i'm gonna really have to watch my words here so for an upcoming album it was uh, mastered by someone i have a lot of respect for that i haven't worked with directly but someone whose judgment i should be able to trust yeah but it was still difficult to one give that final mastering option to someone else and to accept the changes that they have made to something that i had considered perfect mastered already yeah that's uh and it's your it's your baby you know exactly so that was interesting i i i came i came face to face with my own ego for a couple of days yeah <laughs> Well, I'm glad to, I'm glad it went you, you know you pulled through and uh had that which comp was it? Uh I think that this wasn't exactly referring to a comp. This is actually for the uh, I have a pretty big announcement upcoming Ooh, that okay. I'm not allowed to talk about yet, okay. but it's in relation to that. So okay. uh for comps, I I've had some hilarious situation when it comes to comps. I have um I have a track on a Belgian ambient compilation. Okay. Uh, the compilation is the compilation is as dreadful as you would think. So it's uh it's an it's an old school ambient compilation. It's um just uh, three full CDs of uh, young piano players and middle aged synthesizer weirdos uh, making bleep bloops dedicated to star signs and constellations. Mm. That's uh, there's so much music out there, man. Oh yeah, but. But this one's dreadful. So, yeah. <laughs> could yeah. you sample so I'm it? On maybe? There. I, I'm, I'm very happy with the the option of being on there. I 
it's it's lovely that they thought of me as part of the that Belgian ambient scene. Yeah. But um, for some reason, the mastering engineer thought that a flanger is something that should be used in mastering. Oh yeah, a, f- a flange, flanger, flanger. Yeah, a flanger. Yeah. So they put a flanger all over my track in mastering. <laughs> Nice. That I I totally get what you're saying now. But like, I I love the balls on this guy. But yeah. Seriously. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. But that's a really yeah. interesting point you you brought up about how maybe when you have a song that goes on a comp, you get different feelings about what happens because it's no longer a part of the story in the record. It's been plucked out. If it's from a record, maybe it's a single that hasn't been released. Sometimes it's different, but yeah, it can really it can also make it more interesting if you're really excited to get on the comp, you know. Oh yeah, like uh, good compilations can lift the song up and and make it part of a bigger whole. I think mm-hmm. uh, again they, that released on, on Holloway. I think yeah, uh, the Space Launch compilation that Blue Screen did was for me an example of a comp that really have everyone shine beyond the individual tracks mm-hmm. and maybe mixed and mastered to uh complement the aesthetic that they were going for uh, i think uh usually uh blue screen is very soft touch when it comes to mastering on his compilations but here it was somewhat of a perfect storm where all of the tracks came together wonderfully and everyone really vibed with the original intent of the compilations so. sweet uh which one was that uh, space Lounge. Right, right. Cool, let me write that down here. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, uh, and was that, or have any of these been with some of your other projects? And I kind of want to get into that a little bit. Cru- Crucifix Eye or Unholy Analog <laughs> Noise Machine? And MXCX, uh, I got to yeah. talk about that one. Um, like all of those projects are from a, a previous uh, uh, like period for me. So I think n- like none of those have been active since I started with Zero at least. Okay. So I'm not saying they've been definitely shelled. Although, no, I'm lying. I did perform once as Crucifix Eye uh, because I had the chance to hop onto the the bill of a noise show in the in the area mm-hmm. but except for that one that one show they haven't been active much since i started this okay do you want to talk about those projects at all or do you have any other projects apart from these well i gotta also ask mxcx right is that that yeah. has to do with mxpx like it's a joke or something right uh not really there is a joke there but the main joke was couldn't find a good band name so we made up something really stupid okay because that's a punk band i really like mxpx yeah, it's a great band it, it would have been smarter if i lied and had said it was a reference but sadly it's not <laughs> <laughs> so so what about the other projects so uh, unholy analog noise machine was my first incarnation as a musician so that was just mainly uh just noise harsh noise uh, really, as an artist, trying to find some boundaries. And uh, I had a lot of fun with that project, but looking back at it, it's I was young. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> Both artistically and actually young. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what got you to where you are today. 
Oh, that's that's the one thing. Mm, and step on the one step on the journey. Oh yeah, exactly. And uh, it is through those noise projects that in the end they there's some like straight connections to what I do now. So I was. Uh, mainly active with uh, an holy analog noise machine from 2010 through 2012, which was uh, bookended by a, a compilation on the uh, Den of Dead Trees recordings mm. of some of my favorite tracks of the of uh, the project. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, then uh, at the same time, I think Crucifix I uh, basically followed up an holy analog noise machine, uh, being uh, an exercise in noise walls which is somehow even worse than regular harsh noise in how completely unrelentingly huge slab of sound it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you say, okay, I want to change my sound now time for a new project name or, or like, how did that happen? It was, yeah, I, I kind of wanted a fresh start at that point. I think the unholy analog noise machine, had been active for a while and was a bit stagnant both in like uh online reception and real life concerts it was starting to feel a bit stale so mm. and it was like for myself as well like under a new name i was i could reinvent myself i guess yeah sounds so sounds a bit terrible but i think you know what i mean <laughs> not at all you know uh lana del rey yeah she that's her like tenth attempt at like having a project take off, and she's not yeah. she, you know like I think she's not as involved I think as we might like um, mm-hmm. at least with the idea behind creating the project because yeah she had a whole bunch of them where you know there would be this identity and this whole brand developed by a corporation for her. And I might have a couple facts off here, but something like that. And then Lana Del Rey actually stuck. Yeah. Well, that's something like for me, this is like really on a more, more mental headcanon level for me, like the way I see Vaporwave and the way I see my brand of Vaporwave. It is in, in that spectrum of experimental music that also has ambient and harsh noise. And in the harsh noise world, there are it isn't a pretty reoccurring often thing that people have different monikers for either different styles or different setups within the band or just different moods, I guess. And yeah. there's an, a large amount of uh, noise musicians have transitioned to vaporwave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I, I don't like I, said, I don't really listen to noise too much, but time for me to out some people, I guess. Then no. Um... <laughs> Uh, so Crucifix I came after Unholy Analog Noise Machine, and it is actually through Crucifix I that I um, uh, got to know uh, Cat System Corp. Oh, sick. Uh, yeah, um, this is something we only found out about much, much later down the line. So oh, I read that. Zero was already... Yeah, mm-hmm. on Twitter I read that. He, he saw you perform or something, was it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I uh, performed uh, close to his hometown with many many moons ago and uh, a um, decidedly younger uh, Yorts uh, who was at that point he might have been making Dark Ambient or not even uh, uh, saw me perform yeah mm-hmm. and I guess you know there was no reason for you guys to connect neither of you knew each other he wasn't really established uh, and you know Twitter probably wasn't as big as far as 
you know, participation from the vaporwave community or other communities like that. Like it is oh, now. we're talking even pre-vaporwave. I don't think vaporwave was at least to to me and Europe at that point. It was not a thing that yeah, existed. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny how it works out. Small world. Oh yeah, and it was Jordan you. Got to you. Got to do a, a comp with him someday. Oh, that we're we're working on some stuff now together. Oh, sweet. I mean, we're, we share a common language, so yeah. it's been it's been fun talking to him. Both because we come from that uh, that noise background, and because we're uh, similar in age, so we we can we can easily shoot the shit together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, that's that's really cool, man. Uh, so for in your music, you don't sample that much, if I understand correctly. Is that right? Uh, I yeah, very little, and the sampling I do is borderline sampling. Um, mm. A lot of my music uh, is uh, mainly based on MIDI, so I do a lot of, I guess it's sampling as well, of, of MIDI tracks, so I, I lift a lot of structures, but I don't lift a lot of sounds. <laughs> cool. That's really a distinguished take on it. Um, I, for me, uh, I, I'm pretty transparent about my production process. I think, like, if, if anyone wants to like see how I make music, it's uh, uh, I'll gladly elaborate on it. I also know that somehow it's a bit of a hot topic issue thing, like sampling versus not sampling, and some people uh, finding value in either of those sides. So, <laughs> I guess it is kind of a hot topic right now. Yeah, <laughs> not that I care, but. I think yeah, that uh, that's a good attitude though, like not caring and just looking at the end result. Yeah, exactly. It's like how does it sound? I think that's it. You know, we wouldn't have uh, our resurgence of city pop if it wasn't for songs that we could clearly tell were from city pop, or you know, people could tell. Oh yeah, and, right. So it's... and then the people who say that you know, if you don't sample, then it's not vaporwave. We have people like Windows ninety six who make really, really vaporwave ish tracks. So yeah, exactly. Tokyo Wanderer, his interview. Uh, it's either coming out next or can't coming out before yours. But uh, yeah, he they make their pretty much all their music as well. Um, especially on the new record, it is a it is a big paradigm shift, though. That's something that's very much going on in the scene right now, which I like. I mean, if it allows people to express themselves more freely and pushes the the genre further, then uh, like I think, uh, Cat System Corp is very much the one of the figureheads right now of of that movement as well. So, mm -hmm. well, it's like people that are will criticize of sampling it's like we only really are discovering how to make stuff that sounds like vaporwave sampled vaporwave which is all that we had for a couple of years like 10 years ago without samples so it's like give people some time you know <laughs> Let well, people develop people it. People are catching on quickly. I mean, yeah, look at what the Desert Sand is doing. Look at what Yorinton Telepath are doing. It's going fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been, and we're only like halfway through the year, right? Oh, yeah. 2019 has been like huge. <laughs> yeah. It's been good. Real good. So uh, just to go back to your live shows a little bit, 
something I meant to talk about was what is your live performance like? I know you have a sort of a persona that you like to jump into that kind of helps you, you know, get into the moment a bit. Oh yeah, that that's that's really what the, the mask is in the end. It's a way of uh, marking the moment that I go on stage, the, entering the performance, and uh, trying to get in the zone where the only thing that matters at that point is the music. Yeah, you've on your helmet. You mentioned you have your symbol in uh, like yeah LED glowing LED light. How do you see with that in front of you all the time, like right in your face? Barely. <laughs> yeah. It is extremely clunky because it's like the helmet is not collapsible. So even to transport it, like it barely fits into a backpack. Yeah. Um, it gets extremely hot. Yeah. Oh, I, can uh, I need to make sure that the batteries are fully loaded. It uh, gives a very slight audible hum if you're wearing it because <laughs> of the way the power supply works. And I can literally not see any further than like two hands in front of my face. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy. That's determination right there. Or that's uh, rather you know, consistency in your and loyalty to your to your brand oh, yeah i mean i can't perform without it now so yeah yeah exactly you have to uh, it does help with like it helps to get into that zone which also helps for i guess performance anxiety i mean there could literally be no one in the crowd and i wouldn't know until afterwards so yeah well yeah that's maybe it's it's helpful in that way too yeah <laughs> I mean, I can still feel the energy of the crowd, and I can hear people talking. So, yeah. but uh, it helps me to to give my maximum and my everything, no matter what's happening in front of the stage, or despite some negativity that might be happening. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Good point. It's not gonna. It's a barrier to bad influence. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Great. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. How was? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with the mask. Actually, it's uh, I, I built it myself. <laughs> yeah. How how did you build it? What's it made of? It's a uh, it's a welding mask, or uh, at least a a, mm. a light version of it. And then the, yeah. the the neon wiring is some kind of uh, LED filament wire that's usually used for like cosplay and and raves, mm. which I then threaded through to make the the symbols. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you want to say more about the live shows before we move on? You do a lot. You know, that's really cool. I don't know if it's because you have so many different countries near you where you can perform. Because um, in Canada, everything's so far away. Uh, it is an advantage, yeah. I think Belgium is uniquely situated in, well, in, in a nexus in terms of uh, live shows and touring. So that really helps in terms of distances. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, like we already talked about the venue that I that I manage, that has given me, well, better connections than most, so to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literal networking as well as actual networking. <laughs> Just based oh, on yeah, that. but connections uh the, the downside being that i have a bit of like education that i have to do as well like i have my network of promoters and bands that i can play with but very few of those even have the vaguest notion of what vaporwave is so that's been an interesting challenge mm -hmm. in itself well, at least you kind of ride the line between vaporwave and you know ambient noise so like industrial as well so i guess that yeah but at the same time i i 
kind of like it's very much spiritually like there's I, I can allow or I, I can admit that there's room for debate if I'm really like in the purest most strict sense of the word that I make vaporwave but the spirit behind the project the intention behind it the production techniques are very very vaporwave or vapor as like a broader movement mm. and I do want to use the project as a way of I guess educating people in like the more ambient and noise scenes about what a great thing that vaporwave is and what a great scene we have going on online. That's awesome, dude. Like props to you. It, it's it's something that doesn't even require much effort from me because it's something that I will do spontaneously and yeah. much to the chagrin of some people because I I fucking love this. <laughs> scene, you know? Yeah, it's just a byproduct of you sort of. Yeah, you. I mean, if they ask me how my music is going, then automatically they get like the, the five most recent album recommendations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which would be what? Uh, I think I've been trying to get some people like slowly into the genre through, because uh, the people I run into through my venue are a lot of them are vinyl collectors. So I'm trying to speak a little bit to that aspect and trying to get them to grab either Windows 96 is uh, 100 Mornings or the Desert Sand pre-order for uh, Sparkling Water. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. Something where they have the physical object that they can connect with and then the music comes after. Right. What's your favorite media for Vaporwave? Minidisc, floppy, vinyl, cassette? Uh, I I like cassettes as like a physical object. I always have. uh, It's been... I have quite a sizable cassette collection, actually, just not much Vaporwave because I really like buying my my physical goods in stores or direct from bands, uh, which is difficult in Vaporwave with uh, how few live shows are happening. And I am very averse to giving the postal service excessive amounts of money. So Yeah. And then I I really love vinyl, but... um, I'll be the first to admit that this scene doesn't always have the most healthy relationship with vinyl. So I'm trying to be correct in the way that I handle it. And I'm hoping that this scene will continue to mature in that aspect as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Well said. Um, and you mentioned cassettes there, right? Your, yeah. The bands that you listen to that aren't Vaporwave, are they making cassettes like currently? Um, yeah, in the punk scene and the hardcore scene and like most like underground loud guitar music, uh, cassettes were were and still are like the medium of choice if you're if you're leaving on tour and a week before you realize you don't have any demos on you. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be like a CD though, wouldn't it? Because who can? I guess maybe in because in North America next to nobody has a cassette deck. For for a long time, cassette decks were really typical in cars, especially like older cars would like as a baseline have a cassette deck more often mm-hmm. than a CD player. True, that has changed a little bit now, but I think that's the only reason that I've seen people buy CDs is to be able to listen to them in their car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. And more often than not, it's about the well, just like in vaporwave, it's about the physical object, not as much what's on there and um you can self-produce a good looking tape on a couple days notice making a good looking cd is pretty difficult actually yeah based on the the, like the the spine and the the print of the cd and all that exactly yeah making the cd itself like the disc look like not 
cheap and CDR-ish is a huge yeah. challenge, actually. Yeah, yeah, true. You can't just, you know, use an inkjet printer and throw a J card on there, right? Yeah, and that's the thing with cassette tapes. I mean, with a little bit of effort, you can actually make a, a nice-looking cassette tape to, without any special gear, without any expensive printing machines. Mm-hmm. True, I never thought of that. I think that's also like one of those influences from like the experimental, let's say ambient, let's say noise scene that crept into Vaporwave without a lot of people that weren't in those scenes realizing. Yeah. Damn, dude, you're you're go you're full of all the knowledge, eh? <laughs> Uh, That's awesome. I mean, we're we're the same age, but I'm a that makes me a little bit older than some of the people in the scene, I guess. So I I, I saw that punk scene a little bit more. I saw yeah. that noise scene. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I knew that in the '90s, the noise and punk scene loved tapes, but I didn't realize it was still the medium of oh, they, choice. They never That's stopped. Really like, cool. especially, yeah, and noise like it really is like the medium that they do releases on. Did you see that uh, noise arc archive post go up? I think it was on archive.org. Oh yeah, that huge collection of uh, yeah. of ripped tapes that yeah, went like on. Industrial garage stuff. Oh yeah, it's insane. And imagine that there's so much stuff that hasn't been documented, that hasn't been uploaded. Mm-hmm. Sample heaven. Oh yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, that record. Just to go back to one of your records, Black Magic. You had the vinyl up on crates. And yeah. I noticed that it was a limited press of 200. And I want to know, what if you know, because just based on your experience with them, how did that work where, you know, most of the time the record has to sort of qualify by getting enough pre-orders? But I don't think that was the case with your record. Is that right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Crates offers a couple of services, one being the one that most of the Vaporwave scene knows it for being the crowdfund option. Uh, but they also offer uh, just straight up uh, record pressing or what we use uh, being record pressing with a public uh, pre-order option. Okay. And does that have a more of a, like a co- an upfront cost? Oh yeah. The, the, at the time that the, the album went live. So uh, I think I can be completely honest. The reason we did it through crates was because the scene likes it so much because it's an added visibility and the service that they offer through the the pre-orders is actually kind of practical. Um, Belgium is a terrible, terrible country in terms of uh, postal services. And um, it would have cost the, to the buyers would have cost like, I think about 10 bucks more if I had just, pressed the albums had them sent to my place and then sent them to the people directly so mm. so yeah. we ended up paying a little bit more for the pressing by doing it through crates and then uh, having them offer the pre-order and send them to people directly mm-hmm. but it was worth it i'd say right like the 200 were bought and then you had more made i think because you have some on your band camp and on uh, Dust Bones records as well. Yeah. Uh, there were 200 made. I think we sold roughly 50 in pre-order. Oh, uh, okay. So being, I think, uh, 30 or 35-ish to people directly and uh, 15 that were bought wholesale by um, AE2, yeah. the record service out of the Netherlands. Yeah. So where the, the album is still available. And then uh, the... 
So like you implied, like we had to pay for it up front and it was actually like a collaboration between, so uh, BRC30 Productions who also did uh, MIDI hack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then me, like I did my part in that as well directly and um, at Dusk Records, which is another close friend of mine, uh, Björn, who actually drove the tour for me in Germany a couple of weeks ago. Sweet. Yeah, it's all about that... Uh... Helping each other out, right? Collaborations. Yeah, and they're both of them are people from the the punk scene, the grindcore scene. So where it is a lot more common to have um, for underground bands to have multiple labels working together to fund a vinyl run because it's a it's an expensive cost to pay up front as a, a single person or as the band alone. Yeah, so. well, that's one thing I love about the vaporwave scene: labels working together. Oh yeah, in general, this scene is very much about supporting each other, uh, much more so than than most scenes I've I've been a part of mm-hmm. online. Yeah, it's really cool. Like I can't think of any other community that's as connected as us, and not spread out too thin. Because I think you know, rap is like that. People are love that shit, and they tweet about it nonstop. But it's so easy to not see everything. But in vaporwave, you can see everything if you want to. Oh yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's the same problem that like both the ambient and the noise uh, subgenres have right now. Yeah. It's spread very thin, and yeah. even if there is a, a general positive atmosphere, it does not connect it enough to to hold it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a damn shame. Drum and bass. I'm really into drum and bass. Is good for that. I think mostly in the UK where the scene is the biggest, but you know, at least we know where to, where to go. Like in Toronto, there's a bit of a drum and bass scene, but all of us are looking over at the UK like, all right. Oh yeah, like uh, I used to go to quite a couple of like uh, breakcore parties as well. Nice. Which is, I think, uh, another genre that uh, Vaporwave owes at least a nod to in terms of attitude and how they use sampling. Mm. And uh, they have a, a, a scene that's pretty spread out that has a very big scene in Belgium or has at least when the genre was bigger. And that was also just very friendly just people supporting each other and i think that the main belgian thing which was a uh, breakcore gives me woods is actually still going strong oh crazy oh that's sick man yeah belgians those all those little countries seem like they have such a cool music scene man i want to explore that you mind if i crash on your couch for a couple weeks <laughs> you're always <laughs> welcome man sweet i'm i'm gonna hold you to that Okay, yeah. No worries. Sweet. <laughs> so where did the trash wave term come from? Was that you or did you just kind of take it? Uh, it? It was me, like in the same way that I kind of just made up the, the zero moniker on the spot. The trash wave thing was, okay, it's not vaporwave and I'm basically recycling structures and, and stealing and throwing shit together. So it's, yeah, it's trash wave. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Um, what do you feel about the vaporwave scene, like the development of it over the past 10 years? And like I mentioned before, the kind of increased interactivity between the artists and the consumers and the producers and, you know, everybody, labels. Because, um, you know, when it, when we first started, there wasn't, wasn't too much. And, you know, maybe we can go through a couple different years um just based on the different trends the the annoying thing there with how how super late i am to the party for me there's like mainly 
the the scene I arrived in, and then the, the evolution I saw over the last two years or so. So, well, I didn't explore vaporwave in 2012 or 2014. I think it was late 2016 when I discovered it, and you know, it would be not unfair to not be able to talk about and wallow in the classical ideas of vaporwave because that's what we all like some a lot of us just go back and research the crap out of it right like we wish we could have been there so that's that's something you can add into it right because they're well i will admit though that i'm i'm not the best researched man when it comes to that yeah I, I try to focus more on the scene as it is now because i think that's where most of the value is but i'll i'll i'm, I'm certainly happy to weigh in mm -hmm. just some of the the artists you listen to maybe that have been around for a while some of the relationships you have with them like the og i people. think that the, the the main og that i talk to a lot is is Jorn's just because based on well, cat system corp based on like the shared language we have a yeah. a tiny little discord community going on with all of the belgian and dutch so dutch speaking producers oh cool exclusive uh yeah very <laughs> exclusive a lot of shit talking yeah. a lot of stuff that would never be said if uh, more people were watching so yeah that's a fun little community oh that's awesome well i guess in short uh it's a great time for vaporwave oh yeah i agree entirely so um what i really like about the way it is now is that um the labels that are doing well now are doing well because they are communicating honestly and clearly and directly with their customers, which is something that the genre has a bad reputation for, and I think rightfully so. Mm. Yeah. I think our true. current crop of, of labels is taking lessons from some of the more painful situations that were there in the past and is drawing the right lessons and is trying to provide good support for the musicians and good products at a fair price. Something that some of the labels that have been around longer don't always seem to have as much in mind. Yeah. yeah that's true also. Good points. Uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on a little bit was the fact that based on the interconnectivity between artists and fans, um, all the news that we're getting and interviews and like this podcast and you know the magazine there's another magazine that just came out by uh, neon 95 another vaporwave magazine music's a hang-up sunbleach vapor band you know like well, i guess sunbleach isn't around anymore but right vapor urban is sadly defunct as well from what i can oh tell. yeah that's right you know we did an article on that uh with them yeah well yeah it's uh a great time for it and i think i saw a post from back in january that you made saying i would definitely do a vaporwave interview or podcast under the condition that you that i get to use my vocoder to mask my voice and i listened to your music's the hang-up interview i didn't hear no vocoder and there isn't one now so where is it oh, are you setting it up uh, the main thing is I tried it, but uh, the vocoder function, I, I do all of my talking through my uh, my keyboard, actually. Yeah. So you'd think it'd be easy, but vocoders generally sound like shit. Yeah, they do. You really have to like fine-tune it. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you heard the Porter Vong episode, but um, you know, I we didn't want to reveal who they are. 
so I found something that works pretty good and it's free. I uh, forget what it's called, though, but I'll, I'll link it in the description because it worked. It worked great. But yeah, go, go on. Yeah, and, and in the end, it seemed like more trouble than it was worth, especially when people yeah. were genuinely taking me up on the offer to do interviews. So. so what is the symbol that you have on your helmet? What does that mean? It's in your name, too. Uh, it's uh, Ray. It's uh, a, a less common uh, pronunciation or writing form of uh, zero in Japanese. So the number zero. Oh, okay. Cool. That fits so perfectly. it all looks very mysterious and well thought out, but it's basically just zero with a zero replacing the O and then zero written in Japanese behind it. No, man, that's deep. That's super deep. <laughs> I know. I really like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what what are your some of your favorite anime? Uh, sorry, I didn't get you there. What? Uh, <laughs> that's all good. I was asking about anime. Like, what's what are some of your all time favorites? I talked about liking Cowboy Bebop. Uh, what are you watching right now? Um, not watching uh, that much right now. Uh, mainly still trying to keep up with One Piece. Oh yeah, yeah. Which has which is on episodes nine hundred. God knows how many something. now. But that series somehow just keeps getting better and better. So getting better too. Oh, sick. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. Where it's if you look at its roots, it's a bit kiddie and not super nicely animated. And then what it has become now is just uh, an absolute powerhouse, emotionally, storytelling-wise. Uh, a great example of how you can tell a very long, evolving story and not lose the plot along no the way. No one's talked about One Piece on this show yet. Uh, how would you recommend somebody get into it? Just start from episode one and blast off? If you can bear it, because that that's the thing. Like Episode one is old now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Came it shows, out what, in the 90s? Like, uh, I'd have to look it up, but I think so, yeah. But they have been, yeah, doing, I think, weekly episodes since then up until now with very few breaks without any real, like, series resets. So that same story has been going on ever since. Oh, like how they do a new, like, every season they'll have a different arc or something? Not, uh, not the, in this the arcs show. Are, well, yeah, the, the arcs change, but it's it's not like Dragon Ball where you have Dragon Ball Z, which is a soft reset. It's really, yeah. it's the same story that's that's going on mm-hmm. really continuously from day one. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, I saw you had, uh, you know, you have a couple records. You have some video game soundtracks as well, one being uh, Katamari Damacy. Oh, yeah, I... I absolutely love that soundtrack yeah it's crazy i'm glad they uh they did a second press because i missed the first one oh, yeah, it was affordable like uh labels take note if something sells out and people are scalping it it is interesting to do a repress mm-hmm. yeah that's like goes back into the conversation we were having before i think as long as the repress is different somehow that makes oh yeah, that special. way you're not. That way, yeah. there's the collectability aspect. You're not screwing over people who already bought it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely love the Katamari Damacy soundtrack. Uh, mainly because, like I already said, I'm really big on weird Japanese music, and that fits that album to a T. I think. Yeah. I would like many people also like immediately throw down the entire contents of my bank account for a Jet Set Radio Future on vinyl soundtrack, but what? that's never going to happen. Why hasn't that been done? I don't know, but there's that's an amazing. That's uh, I played that on Dreamcast, I think. Because there's CDs, but yeah, no vinyl. Damn. Let's uh, 
Someone contact the uh, owners of the master of that and let's get it on crates. Um, uh, Naganuma, who did uh, a lot of the soundtrack, um, while the really like slightly even like city popish hops on there, uh, he's on uh, Twitter and like it's nonstop questions to him when that is happening, if that is happening. <laughs> Apparently, it's stuck uh, on the uh, Sega side. Oh damn. <laughs> and and even like the the more like surprise. western so to say tracks on that soundtrack uh, from the Latch Brothers that's like apparently like uh, there's some really interesting history there like musically oh do you know any of it uh, if I'm not mistaken uh, it, the the Latch Brothers project is uh, sl- pretty closely tied to um, uh, the Beastie Boys actually oh crazy I would not expect yeah, that coming. Yeah, but they have very little released outside of the Jet Set Radio Future soundtrack. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just great music all around. So I think that's, if we're talking video game music, that's very high on the list. And then uh, I grew up with the, the Super Nintendo and just the level of, of soundtrack quality that was there back then was was a huge influence on me, I think, and a lot of uh, artists from my generation. Yeah, it's a great time for video game vinyl. I got uh, I got a few. There's some gems though that I missed. The Donkey Kong. I don't know if you oh, saw. Oh yeah, that. those are. And those were a huge influence on Vaporwave as well. I mean. The games. Or the. Uh, the soundtrack. The sound. Yeah. For, yeah. Oh yeah, Aquatic I mean, that, Ambience, right? Yeah. More than exactly. <laughs> we both had the same thought at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I've loved Aquatic Ambience for so long. Like I've had that. I downloaded the soundtrack for that game maybe in 2006 or something and i've been listening to that like hard ever since and then there's been all these different producers in different genres making remixes of it and now we have vaporwave versions too that's really cool oh yeah i have the sonic one as well uh first i think oh, it was that's sonic such a 3. big nostalgia trip the sonic one yeah i just love the the approach they're taking with the artwork sometimes like it's an illustrated version of Sonic, like in a tuxedo, I think. I forget exactly, but yeah, a great time for video game, video game vinyl. Uh, for me, a big one that I'm waiting for is Final Fantasy VII. That's coming out when the game drops, I think, which is in like January. Uh, for me, I'm I'm more of a Final Fantasy VI fan, so oh, less nice. excited for that one. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you if you like six, yeah, I. I I read you. <laughs> Six I, is I have great. no problem with seven, and honestly, I have not given it a fair shake yet. So that's something to do whenever I find the time, I guess, to finally play seven all the way through. Are you gonna play the the remake first? Um, that will depend on how it reviews, I guess. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. I, I've learned like not to to get my hopes up when it comes to video games and just take it as it happens and see what the reactions are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always think about too many times. Yeah, I always think about what it's going to be like when I get my kids to play Kingdom Hearts for the first time, and how I approach the sequels. You know, because the ending of Kingdom Hearts one makes you want to play Kingdom Hearts two like so bad, and learn about the universe. But like, if you know about it, it's a bloodbath. Like, it's so not an actual bloodbath. It's so convoluted. All the characters have the same kind of name. They all look the same, which is kind of the point because it's part of the universe but just and the games are like crap 
like Kingdom Hearts 3 and 2 I cannot I'm not into them at all like I, Seriously? I, there's good parts but there's too much crap and hand holding and just stupid lame stuff that just takes me out of the universe like I can't I can't do it but Kingdom Hearts 1 that's the best shit ever. I have to say, I, I really need to to look into starting the Kingdom Hearts series properly because I'll, I'll sadly have to admit I've never played any of them. So. Oh yeah, well, just don't worry about it. Just play number one. You're good. That's it. <laughs> and just Actually, cu- the only uh, come the up- only current console I have is a Switch. So <laughs> oh yeah, true. Well, you can uh, you can emulate it, Kingdom Hearts one and Kingdom Hearts two. But that's illegal. Oh god, I didn't say anything. Um. Yeah, I don't know. They're 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 all right. Like the content is good. There's just too much. Like I'm a busy guy. I can't be wasting all this time on like dumb dialogue that just has no purpose or bad writing or crappy game mechanics. You know, like I wasn't able to forgive all the crappy parts f- for the redeeming qualities. So I, I get that. That's one of the reasons I'm I'm really enjoying Monster Hunter World right now because yeah. it's um it's a streamlined, some would say easier version of Monster Hunter where you don't have to spend fifty minutes in a menu before you can actually go hunt something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and I think the fights are shorter as well, like the the way the maps are designed and the way the the well, yeah, monsters the loading screens work. changes a lot, I guess. Oh the, yeah, the Oh yeah, I completely forgot how long those took. I played the Wii version a lot, Monster Hunter Try. Yeah, I think I mentioned that on the Desert Sand thing. And yeah, loading times there were crap. It's very difficult to go back to Try once you've played any of the later ones. Yeah, it was like good... I tried, and it was not a good time. <laughs> you tried. Yeah, uh, it was good while it lasted, though. Um, like we didn't have anything else. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. If you haven't checked out Monster Hunter, it was a completely Hunter, unique game for the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah in, in North America, if you haven't checked out Monster Hunter, check it out. <laughs> um, so where are you most of the time when you make your music, like physically? Uh, the same place I am right now, which is uh behind my computer. Yeah. Do you have a like an aesthetic to your your the setup in your room? Something that inspires you when you walk in the door? Um, not really that much. Uh, the the office where uh, both my computer and my girlfriend's computer are is uh, just adjacent to the living room. We don't have that big a house, and we find it to be an important part of just... Even if it is only through adjacency, spending some time together and not being like on different sides of the house while either of us is... Uh, either doing some like uh watching something or making music in my case yeah yeah that's a good point as long as you don't get sick of each other (laughs) well no we're we're used to like just chilling out a couple meters from each other like that that's our that's our dynamic and it works yeah how is it in terms of the room like you were saying um, it has uh, all of my uh old noise pedals and stuff are are on shelves on the wall and Mm -hmm. so so a bit of inspiration that industrial yeah, it's, feel. It's a well. It's there's a. I think my I, I changed the LED lights on my mechanical keyboard to look very vapor wavy. I think that's important. Yeah. Well, you are in front of it all the time when you're making music, so it makes sense. Do you have any rituals you go through 
when you're starting a record or when you're starting your musical day? Oh, not really rituals, no. Um, I tend to produce rather obsessively. So if I'm working on something, then it would be like get up in the morning, make coffee, sit behind my desk and launch up uh, Ableton and it'll be open and worked on for at least 90% of the time for like the rest of the free time I have. So mm -hmm. You're just locked in there. Yeah, either changing stuff, listening to it, listening back to it, just a very, very intense periods of, uh, of working on albums. So. Yeah. Yeah. Takes a lot of attention, I, I suppose. Um, what is your ideal Sunday? My ideal Sunday? Um, not having to put an alarm clock, so being able to sleep in a little bit. Uh, have a nice breakfast with the missus, maybe watch a couple of episodes of either a series or an anime that we're following, and then maybe video games or board games in the afternoon, either separately or together, and then go out for a drink with friends in the evening. I don't know. Sweet. Just mellow stuff, I guess. Yeah, that sounds like a, a wicked day. What sort of board games? Uh, I haven't been keeping up with board games enough the last couple of years. Also, due to that move again, that was also uh, like uh, stifling my uh, creativity for a while. Yeah. But, um, I think the the personal favorites, uh, the the Blood Bowl Team Manager card game. I've not heard of it. So uh, very meta nerdy. So you have a yeah. uh, Warhammer, the tabletop war game. Yeah, you might have heard of. <laughs> yeah. Then they have an in-universe fantasy um, American Football League. And uh, that is then a card game deck builder based on that. <laughs> nice. So I, that's a long, ongoing type of game then, right? Uh, this version isn't. That's the advantage. Like the, the regular thing, the, the regular uh, American football like board game with the figurines is something where you have to do leagues. And then the card game translates like the entire league thing of seasons into a deck building game that takes about an hour, but it really rewards... Uh, playing the race or the team that you've picked well. Yeah. Which is something I really like. Like, I like my board games to be thematic and to reward you for thinking within the themes of the team that you're playing. Yeah. Oh, damn. That is cool. What, what was it? Blood Bowl? Uh, Blood Bowl team? team Manager. Yeah. Team. Okay. Check it out. I got a couple friends I play board games with, and we're always looking to try something fresh. Oh yeah, and then uh, the uh, Isaac uh, Binding of Isaac card game that came out not too long ago. Oh damn, I didn't hear about that either. Oh, that was kickstarted and uh, yeah. went gangbusters. Nice. Binding well, it's basically um, slightly more, but like uh, Munchkin meets Magic: The Gathering, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I have Munchkin. Uh, it's it's like Munchkin, but with slightly tighter mechanics. So it actually works as a competitive game if you wanted to. Yeah, true. Yeah, because well, the original Munchkin is a bit difficult for that. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, board games are coming back, sort of like in popularity. It used to be like at least in North America, um, like. 
you weren't popular in school if you played board games with your family. We can put it that way. I, I, I think I get what you mean. <laughs> yeah. But now it's the coolest thing. Like I bring board games home all the time. When I go home for Christmas and my younger sister's there, she's like 11 years younger than me. And I've been doing that for years and she'll have their, her friends over and stuff. And they're totally into it. Whereas when I was young, it would have been like, what? I don't want to play Monopoly. I think even like nerd culture in general has gotten a lot more mainstream and more accepted. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that there's, um, I know of at least like two Dungeons and Dragons groups from people that visit my the venue where I manage. Oh, cool. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Not only is it more accepted, but it's more prevalent because of the acceptance. Yeah, and it's not a taboo either. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's really cool to see the the burly tattooed guy talk about the the, the dragon he fought yeah. and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, befo- right beside the the fat, slobby, greasy guy, like the guy they portrayed on South Park when they did the World of Warcraft episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that always comes to mind. <laughs> Too funny. Um, do you have any uh, artists that you or albums from specific artists that you just cherish and admire so much like your absolute hands down favorites um, within Vaporwave there's there's some of the classics that I keep coming back to I think uh, just in general Cat System Corp has a, a great library of albums that are all unique yet very much him and there's just so many absolute classics in there he's my favorite for sure hands down yeah i think that the social aspect helps as well jordan being a genuinely nice guy with no drama attached and very little shade thrown yeah good point goes a long Uh, way yeah it goes a long way to not ruining your own legacy well you'd be surprised how many people do that or or like just you know act before they think sort of or just taking a good deep breath and, and yeah. before you answer mm-hmm. then in terms of like more recent albums don't. within the the scene yeah um i really liked um that mason's voids i'm Ooh. i'm loving the stuff desert sand puts out um that fm skyline vinyl that came out on the on business casual was is just insanely good advanced memory suite yeah 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 no i don't know I, that was one of the ones where i just listened to one song and i have his uh some of his tapes and i love the tapes but that record i don't know it was too like too perfect sounding for me or something i don't know i, I get that that's the vibe i have with the new windows 96 that one didn't click for me at all yeah and then um, in terms of like mornings, more classics, right? Uh, no, one hundred mornings I like, but there's the there's a newer one. I even forgot the name. That's how much I liked it. Uh, what's it called again? Enchanted instrumentals and whispers. Oh yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, well, he's a great artist, though. I I don't want to put him or FM Skylight down. They're great records. Check them out. <laughs> But yeah, just... oh yeah, certainly, certainly. I mean, uh, that's the thing. If you make an album that's that solid, that we can have that kind of discussion about it, that says enough. I think. Yeah, yeah, good point. I just I have over a thousand tapes, maybe fifteen hundred, maybe more. I don't freaking wow. know, man. 
and probably a thousand records, maybe more. And, you know, I love them so much and I continue to buy them. So I'm like, hey, if I continue to buy these, where am I going to put them? <laughs> so I've been like refining a lot lately. Like I put a couple hundred things on Discogs, maybe. So, yeah, it's a process. In terms of albums, yeah, Luxury Elite has so many good tracks. Like, it's it's absurd. Oh, yeah. World class alone. I can well, listen to that, that last for days. One, the, the album Prism she dropped last year, I mean, front to back, that's that's a great album. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to, f- to get into, to, like, figure it out. But once I got it, she clicked. Oh, and, I'll, and I'll always defend James Ferraro as the underrated vaporwave big influence founder mm-hmm. from like the more ambient new age side of the genre that's now becoming i guess more relevant with the the move away from sampling by some artists yeah yeah uh, that was farside virtual yeah okay. yeah yeah cool although that new album the first part of his mirai series or the second part if you count the the shorter album he did is really impressive as well mm true i don't i haven't heard that one i'll check it out too that's what i it's love about these podcasts so much stuff it's to decidedly check out. on like the ambient new age side of the spectrum but if if you can vibe with that it's it's one hell of a trip mm-hmm. cool no i'm definitely down um do you have any you know you you got started about two years ago and it's been quite the journey for you over these seven records do you have any um, sort of advice for people that are trying to get into the scene and have successful records put out, etc.? Um, I think networking is important, but not to the extent that you need to lie about who you are. So just finding a good voice where you're interacting with people in an honest and genuine way is is very important, I think, in the current scene. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, dude. I'm- and I think we've seen people try and fail at that. So that's one thing that is, in my eyes, just really important. Except for that, just uh, you do you, you know, just find your way of making music that you like making or that has value for you mm-hmm. and try to find labels and other artists that vibe with that and that help lift it up, I guess. Yeah. What about... Uh trying to hone in on a specific sound or discover your sound because it's um, it's easy to just take the the plugins that are shipped with reaper or ableton you know um i uh, that really I, I still use a lot of standards like ableton plugins i think it's it's not about the tools it's how you use them so yeah I'm a big fan of of the yeah, experimenting and then building a, a repertoire of of your own typical sounds and and sculpting uh, uh, some presets that really work for you. I think that one thing there is to not too much rely on one certain guy to teach you how to make a certain style of music, or if you are following a guide, like follow it badly. <laughs> like follow it your way. Yeah, I guess you can learn some bad habits by locking on to someone's exact words or exact processes right or just because you learn and understand the process does not mean that you need to use it or need to use it in the way that it was intended 
Mm -hmm. I mean, the way I get a lot of my MIDI files is like these weren't made for me to rip out of a song and turn a guitar solo into like a slow synthesizer jam. Right. Yeah, you're kind of repurposing and remaking it, not just borrowing, right? For me, a, a big like motivator is trying to make music in a way that was not possible before, like the current technology. Oh. So taking taking structures of other tracks and like spontaneously putting them on the wrong instrument at five times the speed in either direction, and then pitch shifting them and putting five kinds of reverb all over that. That, that's that's insane like if you look at that from a, like an audio technical non-digital level that's that's completely bonkers and mm-hmm. i think that's a good jumping off point like doing something completely ridiculous and then seeing where you end up and then trying to get from there to a point where you're happy with the end result yeah and help and, and talk to people too right like you were you kept mentioning lumi help you helped you make your album more accessible Oh yeah, to get get people's opinions and then draw your own conclusions. They both are are important. You need to learn to listen to people, but also learn to not to to interpret that in a way that works for you. Yeah, it's like how much worth do I put on what this person says? And it's different with every person and every situation. So that's a real And why why does someone say this? What influenced them to have that opinion? Yeah. What's their background? Like if someone tells me they don't like a certain track, then I would ask them what they what they are their favorite albums. And there, there's a lot of wisdom to be gained from, I don't know, profiling the opinions you get, but mm-hmm. contextualizing everything you do. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. One that hasn't been mentioned yet, so I appreciate that. <laughs> On the show. I think that's one thing you'll see with um, a lot of the 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 OG vaporwave artists that are still continuing with the genre that didn't just make one or two albums that are still evolving is that they they came from a music style before vaporwave they were doing stuff before that and I think that it was inevitable for them to make albums but that they have taken vaporwave as an influence and have evolved within that style right keep doing that as well mm-hmm. for sure um i saw you had a youtube channel for your work and sometimes you put you know some videos on there but also one thing i wanted to mention was how it's cool that you put some sort of visual aspect to help indicate what your album's about you know like you put the cover on there in the actual video so people see the music video and what the record looks like sort of you know so i thought that was cool and just wanted to touch on that (laughs) thanks yeah uh the a lot of the projects uploads and initially were on on youtube because i was uh, working off video for to some extent to to get inspired and uh Mm -hmm. to give my experiments some structure well yeah yeah. for sure that makes perfect sense because you said that one record was uh scored while watching the film for what, Black Magic, right? Yeah. It, so, it started out as a score and then mutated into its own yeah. thing. Yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, you didn't interrupt. <laughs> okay. Sweet. Um, and that uh, 
the, the other record, the Mallsoft one, I said was my favorite, uh, Blank State Reflection. I there there was a really interesting quote I found on the Bandcamp for that record, and I'm, I'm you know I imagine you wrote it. And I just want to read it because I thought it was very charming and thoughtful. Um, so go check out Blank State Reflection and read this paragraph again, or remember me saying it because it's uh, it really fits perfectly. What about a mall fascinates humans? Each footstep has a distinct tone and timbre, each laugh echoing around the corner. Do you look at yourself in the mirror? A, con- a congregation of the masses. Maybe you're invisible. By choice? I don't know. When you see a reflection, do you see anything at all? What about memory fascinates humans? I like the bookends there as well. Um, the, the wonderful thing is that that was actually written by the, the kind people at Holloway. Oh, no way. Dude. Yeah, like I said, like I came to them with that album and they not only gave it a home, but they gave it a, both a visual and a storyline identity. So damn, that's a great example of how it, if it clicks with a label, then it, it can click very well. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. I have an interview coming up with them um, I've, eventually. I've got a lot. Uh, so I'll definitely remember that. That, that was a good example. Like you were asking, like, what kind of advice would I give? For me, it was important to find out or to to find the conclusion that it's important to not just release your music, but to release it with someone that is actually enthusiastic about doing that release. Mm-hmm. And every single time, I would recommend a smaller, lower budget label that is 100% invested in what it's releasing over a big label that's just seeing you as cassette release number three of month number, I don't know how many. Yeah. That's a great point. And I can't um, stress that more. Like that's really well said. Well, I think that's what sets Lumi apart with Seiko Mart, with how she handles her releases. Like every single release is something she entirely stands behind and and even some of the bigger labels i mean business casual is known for being very selective in what it puts out and that's because they they are behind what they put out as well so Mm -hmm. i think you can tell yeah well the when i think about business casual i think about the identity of them through the amalgam of thumbnails and albums they have on their page right so i guess it's a you're representing the label as well with the with the work so um yeah that's just another reason to find someone that actually cares yeah it's a it's a collaborative effort to get it out there in the best possible way so Mm -hmm. yeah i see a lot of people submit their records to so many labels and get depressed over have them you know continuing to be denied and i don't often hear stories about when the people, when the labels actually help, um, because people only really talk about the bad stuff, you know. So it's nice to take the time to to reflect on that for a moment. It's it's important to to value the work that the labels put in, and I, I'm not saying it'll happen every single time. Like I think the Seiko Mart and Holloway releases are releases where it sparked immensely well, and we were able to lift it up together, but. It is something to look out for. It is something that can add tremendous value to a release if you can if you're on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's all of my questions, man. 
we, we, I think we got sidetracked a couple of times, but we, we managed to get through all of them. <laughs> That's all part of it, yo. It's If we didn't get sidetracked, this would just be a, a robotic question and answer session where I didn't even need to be here. <laughs> and, and neither did you, because you could pre-write everything, you know? So... Add that layer no, of spontaneity. No secret questions that you're gonna like try and confuse me with. Uh, I sprinkle those in throughout the conversation, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, do you, do you have anything you want to say before we take off, like to your fans or any shoutouts? Uh. With the risk of, of sounding like a broken record, even more so than my usual musical output. Um. I'm just really, really thankful to this scene for supporting my output, for giving me a chance to to do what I do, for giving Zero a home, and just on a personal level as well. Like I've I've been able to meet so many just genuinely nice, caring, interesting people. Not always all three of those at the same time, but just generally thank you all for for being awesome and and stay that way please let's keep this scene a strong family let's keep pushing the boundaries of this genre and the electronic music in general and i see a very very strong future ahead for vaporwave oh that's so nice to hear man very heartwarming <laughs> cool okay well i guess we'll say our goodbyes i'm sure we'll talk again soon and it was an, an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. Uh, if we're like technically off the records, uh, not quite yet. I'll, I'll say bye. Okay. And then, and then bye. We'll okay. Then gonna, there's more stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and you're gonna miss out on whatever we talk about, audience. Yes. <laughs> okay. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Thanks everybody for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Definitely follow Zero on Twitter. It's Zero tra uh, Trash Wave, Z E R, and then the number Zero Trash Wave. And like I said at the beginning, issue eight deadline coming up July 30th. Sign up now. Don't miss it. It's going to be a good one. And we're going to leave you with some music, including my new favorite song by Zero. It's called I Have Begotten Not but evil and it's off of his record intense hate we have a couple other songs we're going to play and thanks again everybody for tuning in and take care and we'll see you next time